Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. So, Joe, can you do your Alexa trick for us? Yeah. Alexa, play the podcast 27 Speaks. Getting 27 Speaks from Apple Podcasts. Playing the latest episode, 27 Speaks Podcast. There you go. July 10th, 2020. Alexa, off. Alexa, stop. <laughs> you, you turned mine <laughs> off, but then it, it didn't shut off. Yeah. I don't know. Actually, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little afraid of the whole thing myself. But um. anybody listening to the podcast, I just turned theirs on, and they're, <laughs> and they're cursing me now. So the the extensive use of of my Alexa, Alexa, what's the weather today? Alexa, what's the temperature? Alexa, what's the humidity? And that's about it. Other than that, I don't I don't use it at all. Alexa, stop. It sounds like you have an annoying mother-in-law living with you. Yeah, it's that's pretty much what it is. You know, the other thing that's really funny, every time I've been at somebody's house and they have Alexa, they're so mean to her. You know? <laughs> yeah. They're just like yelling at her. <laughs> I curse I curse at her a lot, yeah. I also have learned that you sort of have to add about 5 to 10 degrees to her uh, predicted temperature. It's just just the way it is. What happens when you tell her what to wear? Yeah, no, I've learned, I, you know, I've been, I've been married long enough to know, yeah, don't go that way. I, I live alone, so I don't yell at, at anybody <laughs> that talks to me. So with that, we'll let you introduce yourself. Sure. Hi, I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor for the Express News Group. And joining us this week is a newcomer to our, to our little circle, Peter Booty. Say hi, Peter. Yes, hi. Uh, I'm Peter Booty. I happen to write a question and answer piece in this week's uh, Express and Press newspapers. And so that's why I'm here. Great. And Joe Shaw? And I had the great honor of following Peter Booty as editor of the press. Uh, I'm Joe Shaw. I'm executive editor now of the Express News Group. And my name is Annette Hinkle, and I am the arts and living editor at the Express News Group. So this week, we thought it would be really interesting and timely to bring Peter into this discussion because he did an interview in this week's paper about Thomas Jefferson and what his potential role should be in American history. And as everybody's talking about bringing down monuments or revisiting the role that some of the founding fathers may have had in the, in the foundation of this country, he spoke to um, Lucian Truscott, who is a descendant of Thomas Jefferson. And it's interesting that Peter did this story because Peter happened to write a number of years ago, a wonderful book about Thomas Jefferson called Thomas Jefferson, Rachel and Me. And it was sort of a fictional road trip about what would happen if Thomas Jefferson came back today, but he was a guy who maybe wasn't totally on the right page when it came to slavery. So Peter, do you want to talk a little bit about about your book? Yeah, it's a book that I felt should have been on the bestseller list. And of course, no, no agent or editor would uh, take it. And so it appeared on Amazon and it's still there in paperback and Kindle. And it actually has sold about 1,200 copies over the years. I think it's about 10 years since I wrote it. I think it has a uh, level of meaning to it that a lot of people may not really pay much attention to, but it has to do with Jefferson's attitudes toward race and slavery and women and politics and what I imagine to be his way of looking at the world, but highly modified by the fact that he realizes 
He's out of time. He's in the wrong place. He's with all these people that think differently than he does. But anyway, uh, that's the book. It's still available. You can read it and uh, make me $3. We thought you'd be the perfect person to interview Lucian Truscott because of this. You have an interest in Thomas Jefferson and the conversation you had with him followed some of the lines that you talked about in your book too, about his views on slavery and things like that. We assigned the story partly because he had written a, an essay in the New York Times last weekend. Lucian Truscott. Yeah. Yes, he had gotten he had gotten some uh, some attention for that. Um, you want to talk a little bit about what he said in his essay? Yeah, I thought it was fascinating. I've always wanted to meet Lucian Truscott, so it was really fun that you asked me to go do the Q&A with him after he published that op-ed essay. But Lucian Truscott has been doing this kind of thing all his life. He published, uh, I think it was on July 6th in the print edition of the Times, an op-ed piece <coughs> calling for the Jefferson Memorial at the Tidal Basin in Washington to be torn down as uh, a completely off-key monument to a slaveholder. And, you know, man who also had children with one of his slaves. There's an obvious hypocrisy going on there that the guy that wrote the Declaration of Independence um, also was a slave owner, number one. And the guy that wrote Notes on the State of Virginia, which is sort of the founding document of white supremacy. It's the, it's the document that existed in the 1700s that defined the difference between black and white. Yeah. You know, it set the blood limit. You had to be less than a 16th black to be white. You know, and he's the one that coined the term octoroon, for God's sake. And some people will think of him as a child rapist because Sally Hemings, it, it seems pretty clear from the record, was around 14 or 15 when she went to Paris to work helping as the maid for one of his daughters while he was the uh, virtual ambassador of the United States to France. And uh, it's around that time, during that period, that it's believed Jefferson started his relationship with her. So Lucian writes this thing that says, tear down the Jefferson Memorial, which was built under FDR's administration in the late 30s as World War II was approaching. Roosevelt, for whatever propaganda purposes may have been on his mind, thought that it would be wise to have a memorial to the man that wrote the Declaration of Independence, that decreed that all men are created equal, set the ideal of the United States in writing, uh, and so antithetical to what was going on in Germany and Japan and uh, Italy, and you know, the rise of fascist powers and militaristic powers was antithetical to, to that creed. So that's why the memorial got there in the first place. So it's a fairly new memorial as they go. The fact that one of the direct descendants of Thomas Jefferson is now calling for it to be removed, that has to be news. Whether it really amounts to anything or will gain traction uh, remains to be seen. Lucian Truscott is skeptical that anything's going to happen in, I, I in his lifetime. In my lifetime. But, I, but I do expect at some point in the next 20 years or so that more contacts will be involved in that memorial than is currently there. You touched on it. I, I think what's fascinating about this and what makes it news is, as you said, there's a, there's a debate about what's, what should be coming down at this point. And I think 
uh, there's sort of a consensus about this idea that Confederate statues, by removing them, we're removing history. Well, no, we're removing the celebration of this side. That's really what statues do. But that whole debate sort of hinges on, well, what about Washington? What about Jefferson? Well, you know, these were guys that were flawed. You talked about that with him. And, and um, I th- you know, towards the end of the interview, I know that he had said, at the very least, some of the words that Jefferson wrote that most people don't know he wrote should also be included there as well. You know, it's, uh, the memorial is full of great sayings of Thomas Jefferson, but there isn't anything in there that shows these non-great sayings. You're not going to find the word octoroon at the Jefferson Memorial. You're not going to find a statement in there that blacks are inherently inferior to whites, which he wrote. I think that ought to be at the memorial. I think they ought to engrave it on a goddamn piece of marble and put it up, you know? Yeah, he's mostly referring to a book that Jefferson wrote called Notes on the State of Virginia. He wrote this book to kind of, one, disprove uh, a, a European fancy that everything in America was smaller than it was in Europe. And Jefferson, you know, took the bait and specifically it is about the state of Virginia. And one of the subjects he gets into is black race. And it is a blatant uh, racist document about how and why they're inferior. You have to wonder, did he really believe that by the end? Because as Lucian Trescott points out somewhat in the Q&A, he had these very serious back and forth conversations, either by letter or in real life uh, in, in the present, with the Hemings family members who did so much of his uh, fine work at Monticello. Just about every slave master in the South had children with their slaves, whether it was through violence or through what might have been considered consent. But of course, how could it be consent if the person was a slave? It's legally impossible that consent was a factor there. And that's why Jefferson's in trouble today, not only because he was a slaveholder, as so many people who helped found the country were, he had children with one of those slaves and ignored it his whole life. What I think is interesting is that Lucian is the one that sort of brought the Hemings connection to the attention of his relatives. You know, they still were in denial about having a black descendant. And I think that's worth noting too, is that Lucian was really the one, he's been kind of a rabble rouser all his life. And he was the one that brought that to the family's attention and probably caused quite a rip at some of those family reunions, I'm thinking. Well, uh, Annette Gordon-Reed, who wrote the book, The Hemings of Monticello, also gets credit for kind of making clear how important the Hemings family was at Monticello. In 99, when Lucian told the Monticello Association that owns a cemetery there at Monticello, they have a reunion every year of all the descendants of Thomas Jefferson who were entitled to be buried in that cemetery to conduct business and and see each other. He shows up with a whole lot of black uh, people. The Hemings family brings 30 members of the Hemings family to the meeting and, you know, freaks out all these snotty, conservative, Talbots-dressed Charlottesville people who all went to UVA and have a lot of old money. He made a lot of news doing that, and he tried to force the association to agree to let people who were descended through the Hemings line 
to be buried in the cemetery too. So far he's failed to do that. I think it was in 2006, they did actually have a vote of the association and it was roundly defeated. Uh, and, uh, you know, so no Hemings descendants are allowed in the family cemetery. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about Lucian's reasoning for wanting to take down the Jefferson Memorial, because it's not like he wants Thomas Jefferson forgotten, but from what I understand, he feels there's a perfectly acceptable way to still honor Jefferson without that building. Yeah, that's true. He, he says that Monticello is the adequate and correct memorial to Thomas Jefferson, which I think is a little disingenuous. I mean, the, the, the point of the memorial is it's in Washington, like the Washington Monument is in Washington, the Lincoln Memorial is in Washington. The idea is we decided to make a memorial to Jefferson in Washington, and for a reason, and maybe the reason was wrong, or maybe it needs to be revisited. But he's saying, on the other hand, that a memorial in Charlottesville, well off the beaten path from Washington, although not that far, a couple hours drive away, is adequate and also more appropriate, especially now, because in the last 40 years before that, there was no sign of slavery at Monticello when you went to visit there. You wouldn't know that the the clock on the face of Monticello, which has a chime in it, it, it has a gong system to ring out the shifts for the laborers in the field. It can be heard all over Monticello. That's the purpose of that gong, is to control of the timing of the work shifts that the slaves are engaged in out in the field. In a sense, you could make the argument that Monticello is a really good you know, warts and all, it, it's yes. a testimony to, to Jefferson because of that. It might, you know, Lucian might be onto something. I, I feel like some of the conversation that we have about this stuff, it's about sanctification of people. Jefferson was a great man, and there's no doubt he was a great man, but he was also a very flawed man. Monticello's sort of more attentive to the history of slavery on the site, too. So it may serve as a good testimony to Jefferson. When we say he was a great man, though, how much of that is revisionist history, though? How much of that is lore that we've developed over the, over the last you know couple centuries to prop these people up? When he wrote All Men Are Created Equal, did, did he mean all men are created equal? Or, or did he mean all white men are created equal? Certainly didn't mean women. Exactly. Do we destroy the revisionist history or do we use that now as an opportunity to educate and, and to take that a step further and say, so this is what we believed and this is why we propped him up. But in reality, there was this, there was white supremacy and there was slaveholding and, and there was good and bad. You know, the movement today to destroy a lot of these monument statues or whatever, I, I wonder if there's an opportunity then to use that as a way to educate and, and to make sure that, that future generations see the whole picture. Well, you're, you're leading right into what I w wanted to say about Monticello. That's their mission now. From what they've done to make the history of the slave side of life at Monticello come alive. For example, recreated the slave quarters along a lane along the side of Monticello called Mulberry Row. Used to be just a pretty little dirt path and there were some rubbly little uh, remnants of some sh sheds that you really couldn't even distinguish unless you read a sign, oh, what is that? And they were 
what's left of the slaves' quarters, which of course were wood and mortar and uh, didn't last because they just rotted away after slavery times. But Monticello started realizing, hey, you know, we're, we're telling less than half the story here. I think there's a tremendous value if we're to remain people who are proud of our country and understand what our country's future could be, they have to have an understanding of what the past was. We didn't learn about the dirty facts. Who ever heard of the uh, massacre in Tulsa but before it was in the news? I mean, that's, you know, you hear about the black hole of Calcutta. If you study British history in high school or college, you never hear about a whole city being wiped out because it was black and resented by the white people. And until the little flurry of news stories recently about it, 99% of the country probably never even heard of that. Exactly. People growing up in Tulsa didn't know that history. Anytime you start a conversation like this, it gains momentum. And you eventually get to the point where you have someone like Lucian Truscott, who has every right to say it, challenging whether we should have a monument for Jefferson. And that's a stunning thing to put out there for people to discuss. But I don't think it's off limits. Do you, Pete? No, I think, uh, I think in his position as a direct descendant, a great, 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 great grandson of Thomas Jefferson, he's not off on some line from cousins and nephews and uncles and nieces. Uh, he has a right to say it. I, I have a little trouble buying it because to me, Jefferson was not a monster, but it's interesting how the Jefferson family, all the descendants, as Annette, you mentioned, you know, the, the, this whole effort to control the PR about Jefferson was very intense. And Jefferson was very careful about his PR, even in the 1700s, in the early 1800s. He died in 1826. He knew what he was doing, trying to leave a legacy that left out Sally, that left out slavery, uh, that talked about the Declaration of Independence, which he didn't think was such a big deal when he wrote it anyway, because there was nothing new in it. It was all common thinking of the time in the uh, age of the Enlightenment. There were a lot of writers who had already said the same things and other people who said it in different ways. It's the first time anybody put it together and said, this is what our country is about. That's why it was an amazing milestone. And that's why I say, I'm not troubled that we did decide to have a monument to Thomas Jefferson there. I think of the early founders, he was one of the most important. I, you know, who knew much about Jefferson? He wasn't, you know, you asked a typical eighth grader anything about Jefferson, he's not going to know anything. You can, maybe if he went to a really good school and got A's, he's going to say, yeah, he wrote the Declaration of Independence. And that's about it. That's all he's going to know. He always told people, I'm never going to sell you away from your own family. I'm never going to break. He told people I would never break up my families that work for me. Well, what happened when he died? They had to cash in everything to pay the bills, all his debts. His daughter, Martha Randolph, his only surviving daughter at the time of his death, they had to sell Monticello, but they also had to sell everything in it at an auction. That was a big deal in Charlottesville. You know, imagine, you know, the rich guy, the president of the United States up on the hill who's been there for decades and decades. He's now dead. They're going to liquidate that whole thing up there. And what's part of that liquidation is the people. They were all sold away. 
It's a complicated legacy. I mean, it, that's the whole thing. I mean, I feel like the monument makes it simple and nothing is that simple. He's a conflicted, complicated man. And I feel like the value of this debate isn't necessarily whether or not you actually remove a monument, but it, it raises this conversation that we're having, which I think is good. I don't think that destroys Jefferson's legacy. I think it offers a counterbalance and it offers some, some context and, and it provides some depth in some way as well. Uh, you know, I, I feel like this is a healthy conversation to have. And I think people who object to the conversation are missing the point that instead of raising someone up in a figure of marble so that they're never changing forever exactly, you know, that these were human beings. And I think it's helpful to have this conversation. I, I think it's a healthy conversation for the nation to have in general. I thought it was a great interview, Pete. And, and uh, you know, I want to make sure readers know uh, a shorter version of it ran in print, but uh, there's a there's a much longer version um, that's online at 27east.com, and it is worth reading the longer version, I think. There's a, there's a lot more that you guys delved into, and, and it's all really fascinating stuff. He's a, he's a character, there's no question, and I think that comes through in your interview with him, but, um, but it's just really fascinating stuff and very timely, I think, for the, for the conversation we're having as a nation. I just, I thank you for doing the interview for us. Thanks for letting me do it. Thanks for asking me to do it. I was very pleased. Thanks. All right. So do we need some kind of formal sign off here, Anna? So, uh, so what do you and Alexa have planned for the afternoon? Oh, don't say that too loud now. She's going to overhear us. Data get jealous? Uh, no. But I'll tell you, Alexa knows a lot of really good music, and that helps. I'm willing to give up a little bit of my privacy for that, and, and that's the problem. That's exactly how it starts, and I'm aware of that. I try to keep my political views to myself even around the house now. Alexa, what are you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> she said they don't make clothes for me. <laughs> so there you go. It's a little creepy, gotta tell you. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.